We want to welcome you this morning to Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. As Pastor Stewart steps away from the book of John, David Murray, one of the elders, will be delivering a message that the Lord has put on his heart. We pray that you will be encouraged. Here is David Murray. I hope and pray that you've got uh, seatbelts in those pews. Because I struggled with this the entire time that I was putting this together. Because Satan is in such a, a manipulative, deceptive mode that just when you're wanting to do and get in the Word of God and be about prayer and be about His will, He's attacking. He's discouraging. He's wanting to divert you to something other that's worthless. So let me begin by saying we are witnessing some really dr dramatic changes in this country, in this country as well as the entire world. We've seen political changes, geographical changes, economical changes, and even family changes that have many of us so dumbfounded and uncertain we don't even know what's true and what's not. We're in a, we're in a quagmire. And if we are trying to build spiritually into our families, if we're running, trying to run a business that is honoring God, or if we're trying to plant a church, we need to understand these fundamental changes that we are experiencing and plan to act biblically. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 says, One of the groups of men who rallied around and stood by King David before he entered Jerusalem, before he was crowned king, these men were called the sons of Issachar. These men are recorded as men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. We likewise need to be like these men of Issachar, understanding the times with knowledge of what God would like for us to do. We likewise are told in Isaiah 32, chapter, verse 8, that the nobleman devises noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. We, our families, our church should have plans for the future based upon the Word of God in order to stand. Within all these fundamental changes that we see happening around us, whether it's political, geographical, economical, family, familial, we see within these changes telltale characteristics of wickedness that thread their way throughout. And there's only one source of this wickedness. These characteristics are the hallmark character traits of Satan and his schemes. And they are recognizable by those trained in Scripture. Not only can believers recognize Satan's tactics, but we know how to protect ourselves our family, and for those of us who are in leadership in a church, the flock. We are under attack. We are on the front lines. Knowing the Word of God will keep us from resisting our enemy with the wrong equipment. And just as a, an example of this, let me give you an illustration. My own sister came to Christ five, six years ago. <clears throat> and uh, she was a new believer in Christ. She was beginning to understand clearly the Word of God, and she was encountered by a man who tried to exercise the demon out of her because he thought that it was his duty to take hold of Satan and the demons around him and control them. That is wrong thinking. That is delusional. That is satanic. We do not do that to other Christians. And we, if we can't recognize another brother and sister in Christ and, and go about exercising the spirits of evil out of them, we're, we're wasting our time. We're doing Satan's duty. And a good example of that out of Scripture is a out of a book of Acts, some of you may be familiar with it, but it's about the sons of Sceva. In Acts chapter 19 in particular, they were some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, 
tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Yes, demon possession is real, but limited. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. If we're using the wrong equipment, fighting the wrong battles, we're going to be beaten up. We're going to go out naked, without armor, without what we need. So when this came to be known among the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. I say this to let you know that the Bible confirms that to assume we can cast out demons is wrong thinking. That's been a popular theme throughout the decades. We've seen movies about it. We've seen stories. We've read books about it. It's just plain unscriptural. Only Jesus and his apostles had the God-given authority and power to cast out demons. It was for his glory. It was to prove his deity. No one else. There is a movement in Christendom under the heading of the New Apostolic Reformation. And within the New Apostolic Reformation, there is a false teaching called Dominionism, which as one of its teachers, Peter Wagner, explains that in these last days, God has provided the body of Christ with some new spiritual weapons, which will help us penetrate the darkest realms of the enemy. Undergirding Wagner's ideas about spiritual warfare is this erroneous doctrine that Jesus' work was not finished on the cross and that Jesus had delegated his church to continue the war against Satan here on earth. They believe the gospel of salvation is achieved by setting up the kingdom of God as literal and physical kingdom to be advanced on earth in this present age. Some dominionists, like the New Testament kingdom, liken the New Testament kingdom to the Old Testament Israel in ways that justify taking up the sword or other methods of punitive war, uh, judgment to war against the enemies of the kingdom by using a special supernatural gift to wage spiritual warfare, wresting control of the earth from Satan and his demons. Dominionists teach that men can be coerced or compelled to enter the kingdom. They assign to the church duties and rights that belong scripturally only to Jesus Christ. He is the power. It is not the church's responsibility to do what Jesus Christ has already done. You may be ready to dismiss, to dismiss me already. At the moment I said Satan and demons, maybe it was at the moment I said New Apostolic Reformation or Dominionism, but this is precisely what Satan would want you to do, is to dismiss this. Your dismissal of a real Satan, of real battles, of demonic angels, is your defeat already and a victory for Satan. Scripture calls everyone a servant, and we are either the servant of the devil or we're the servant of the Most High God. We are not our own. We were bought at a price. For those of us who are believers in Christ, we were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We all have a master. We are slaves to the one whom we obey, whether it's to wickedness or to righteousness. Romans 6 spells that out very clearly. So who is your master today? Which brings me into this next section, is the question that you want to ask, is Satan and demons really real, or is it just in my imagination? The Bible speaks over 80 times in the New Testament about them, and anytime there is multiple, multiple readings and there's multiple mentions of one particular topic, you better pay attention. Most of the time, they are mentioned in the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He believed 
in the reality of demons and demonstrated his power over them. We see that many in the New Testament brought the demon possessed to Jesus because he had authority over them and that he could cast them out. These beings, these demons, these angels are not just imaginations. They're not unique ailments or diseases, but they're rational thinking beings. They are described in Scripture with attributes of personality. They believe in God, according to James 2.19, which says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. We know that they are fallen angels along with Satan, who being the chief among them. And Revelation spells this out as he as, the, as uh, God re, uh, gives the vision to John in chapter 12, he says, The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. They were cast down from the heaven for their pride. Isaiah 14 says this about Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, Son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. Sounds familiar? Have you seen that around? I will be like God. We are like little gods. What a deception. St. Augustine said this, It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. Are we really in a battle? Absolutely. Stu Weber, the author of many books, but one in particular called The Spiritual Warrior, is quoted as saying, know it or not, like it or not, you and I are in a war. And we need to begin living as if we were in a battle for our lives. Because, in fact, we are. We are in a spiritual battle. It is the reality in life of every believer. Why do I say believer? Because we are spiritually enlightened in the sense that once we come to Christ, our eyes are open to the spiritual realms around us. Those who are not in Christ are blind. They're almost like what uh, Deuteronomy says, the deaf, the dumb, the mute. That's what unbelievers are to the spiritual realm of warfare. Many of the biblical authors call us to realize this grim struggle against the unseen forces of evil. Paul writes to Timothy and charges him according to the prophecies that you may wage the good warfare. He also says to fight the good fight uh, and of faith. And again, Paul says that he fought the good fight. We have, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And yet again, he charges Timothy he must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And one of my favorites... <clears throat> Is found in 2 Timothy, where Paul says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. What this indicates is we were saved, we were redeemed, we were released from the bondage of sin, but we enter immediately into an army of God. We are experiencing a battle and Christ is our leader. And like it or not, just as Stuart Weber said, we are in the battle for our lives. And for some of you, you are in the battle for your eternal life. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the wiles of the devil and his fallen angels. And Paul writes to the Ephesian believers and tells them that the way to be strong in the battle is to put on, put on the whole armor of God. This is the only way to stand against the schemes of a clever devil and his servants of evil. So what if that's the case, what are the rules of engagement? If you know the enemy and know yourself, 
you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. That's from The Art of War by Sun Tzu. The rules of engagement are twofold. We must know ourselves and we must know our enemy. For many of us who uh, were in the military, particularly either the Army or the Marines, we know what it means to know our enemy. But we all also must know ourselves. We train. As I was talking to my kids this morning or uh, this weekend after a softball tournament finale, they were asking me, says, well, how, how do they do so? How do those youth do so well? I said, it comes down to the fact that they've been practicing, they've been training. They have developed a muscle memory in order to swing the bat in order to hit the ball. They've developed a muscle memory over training and years of practice to be able to, to know when to judge the arc of the ball so that as it's flying off the bat and into the air, they know how to approach it, whether they go back, left, or right, or whether they go forward and to catch the ball. We are in a battle that requires training. We need to be equipping ourselves with the right equipment. So, first of all, who are we in this battle? Who are you as Christians in this battle? Who are we engaged in this battle? Only those who are born again become the target of Satan. Non-Christians are servants of the devil already by default and waging his war for him, knowingly or not. The devil has already blinded and entrapped them. We have been chosen by Christ to be Christ's servant, to be his righteousness, his creation, his redemption, and his royal priesthood. Christ chose us. And there's no better, of, better description of us than what is found in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glory and grace, which he freely has given to us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God, God's grace that he lavished upon us. And with all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. In order that he, we, and these were speaking of the, his disciples, who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of the glory. And you also were included in Christ, us, those who believed, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What a great amount of spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. All this is to say is that through Christ Jesus, we are a person given everything necessary to live a godly life and to defeat all attempts of Satan against us. We have been gifted with the Spirit, the Spirit of God living in us. At that moment of conversion, we have been given that seal. And this Spirit is not a spirit of fear. It is a spirit of power, of love, and self-control. It is... The Spirit is also a spirit of encouragement. As the Apostle Paul encouraged Timothy by reminding him to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, God had to encourage Joshua to be strong and courageous. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. 
Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my, Moses, my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to the left or to the right, that you may be successful in whatever, wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on them day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What encouragement. What strength we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know who we are in Christ. We know who we are in this battle. Who is the enemy? Well, Satan is the enemy. He is a defeated foe, for sure, through Jesus Christ's victory on the cross. However, he still attacks. And though he is defeated, he attacks in very deceptive and specific ways that I want to explain to you. When he fell from heaven, he took a third of the heavenly angels with him, and now are his demonic army. An army so well organized and it's described as the principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He has charted the world and organized it. He has taken captive men to do his will, to do his bidding, only until the time that the power of Jesus Christ our Savior releases them. Behind all this opposition is the hand of Satan. And we can, acknowledge, we can acknowledge Satan's interference, but we need to keep our eyes on Christ and maintain the fight. We can get bogged down into being so focused on Satan that we forget that our focus and our gaze should be fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the victor. He is the one who saves. He's the one who is victorious over Satan. We see that Satan is also a god, lowercase g. He's the god of this age. He has his own church. He has his own doctrine. He has his own gospel. He has his own ministers. He is contrary to the Lord God, but he's a god of this age. He is also powerful. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Satan's workings come with supernatural power. He performs signs and wonders, although false signs and wonders. He has the power to influence the whole world. 1 John chapter 5 says, The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. However, Satan is very limited. He needs the help of other fallen angels to help him. And not only does he need the help of demons, but he also has the help of those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. He has the help of lost men and women. Without Christ, Satan entraps men in his deception and manipulates them to do his will. Whether you see it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. And unless our eyes are opened, we have no idea. And I've had so many people come up to me going, well, I don't believe in Satan. I don't believe in a battle. I'm my own boss. Sure you are. You just don't see the puppet strings coming from the back. You have no idea who controls you. You think you're your own, but you're not. Let me give you a good illustration of this. Even as Christians, you're walking down the street, riding, driving the car. Whatever you're doing, these, suddenly these thoughts pop into your mind. Contrary to every biblical concept you've probably ever heard of. Satan's influence. You can take captive every thought according to 2 Corinthians Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Those thoughts do come. When they come, take them captive. You are not your own as an unbeliever. But you are Christ if you are a believer. We also see that Satan is a deceiver. He is the master deceiver. He's the master manipulator. He deceives through religion. And when I say religion, he, he deceives through the through the institutions of religion. He doesn't deceive through the church. The church is immune, even though there are some wrong influences, which I'll explain later. 
He deceives and manipulates through things such as intellectualism. He, he deceives through philosophy, through psychology. He deceives through even scripture. As he did with Jesus in chapter 4 of Matthew. Every form of cultural thought in this manner has found its way into the church and among its people. And you can tell if it's from Satan because it always causes division. Wherever you find division and envy and selfish ambition, there you find Satan. He is divisive. He's had over thousands of years to divide and conquer. He divides the family. He divides the church or attempts to. He divides communities and he divides nations. He divides people within a nation, as we've seen already hugely. He wants to, he is behind this whole idea of racism. He's behind the idea, the concepts that come from the critical race theory. He's behind all the political correctness that we're seeing woven within this country in particular, but elsewhere as well. James chapter 3 says this, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James chapter 3. Not only is he powerful, He's a deceiver, he's divisive, but he is a destroyer. The Apostle John in Revelation calls Satan Apollyon, which means destroyer. He destroyed everything in Job's life, except the life of Job himself. Though, though he is a destroyer, God limits his destruction. If you recall what happened to Job, jo uh, Satan had to ask permission of God. To persecute Job. And as John MacArthur has said, Satan and demons never, never act against God's people without the permission of God. Hallelujah. <laughs> and when you are attacked, God provides a way of escape, a way of protection. The other thing about Satan is he is not the opposite of God. Satan is God's created angel. While God is eternal, infinite, omnipresent, omnipotent, God is all this. Satan is created being. He's a fallen angel. It would be more appropriate to say that Satan's opposite is Michael, the archangel. God has no equal or opposite. He rules over all. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ in God. We see that Satan is a liar too. In John chapter 8, Jesus said to the Pharisees, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, how do we do battle? What is our God-given equipment in this battle? Well, let me just, let me add something in here. I read this just this morning. Here's a rabbit trail for those of you who are talking about rabbit trails. Churchill, Winston Churchill, was recorded as saying, um, I know Hitler. Whenever he opens his mouth, he's lying. Whatever you, whatever he says, the opposite is true. That's the same tactic you can expect from what comes out of Satan's mouth. Whatever comes out of his mouth is not true. It's the opposite of what God says. So what is our God-given equipment for battle? The best defense against demonic influence is to live clothed in the full armor of God, the life of Christ himself. This was such a cool revelation to me, because I always thought that it was, the armor of God was a practical thing. No, it's a God-given gift. It's God-given clothing to us. This is so cool. Let me, let me spell this out. The armor of God is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. 
We put on the belt of truth. Jesus is our righteousness. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. He, Jesus is our salvation. We put on the helmet of salvation. Jesus is our peace. And we put on the, the shoes fit, prepared for the gospel of peace. He is our faith. And we are to put on, we are to put on the faith. And he is the word, the sword of the spirit. It is all Jesus. He has clothed us, those who have been born again, those who are believers. We are clothed with the armor of God. We have every one of those attributes at the moment of conversion. We are born again. We have the helmet of salvation. We're saved. We have faithfulness, righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit is ready and available, though not handled quite yet. Maybe it hasn't even been picked up. And I'll explain that that is one of the spiritual weapons that we need to actually pick up and wield. So with the help of Ephesians chapter 6, let me go through these spiritual armor components. First of all, we have the belt of truth found in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. In order to be armed with the truth, we must know the truth. The whole counsel of God. Everything between the covers of the Bible. When we study God's word, it will direct our paths. It shines light to our feet in the direction we're going. It will lead us in the way everlasting. It will be our guide to see the danger ahead of us and avoid the traps of the devil. The truth is what sets us free. Next, we see the breastplate of righteousness found in, this following, in the same verse as 14. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Righteousness is twofold. It is positional and it is practical. We who are born again are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's positional. We have it. There is no difference between Jew and Greek. The righteousness that is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Romans 3, verse 22. Growing in holiness and godliness every day in the light of who we are in Christ is called practical righteousness. Which Philippians chapter 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. John added, the one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the manner, the same manner as he walked. And as we faithfully live in obedience to Jesus, his righteousness produces in us righteousness and holiness that the scripture calls us to. Next, we see after the breastplate of righteousness, we see the shoes of the gospel of peace. In verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 6, we are fitted, our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is the good news that we are at peace with God and that he is on our side, or I should say we are on his side more appropriately so that we can have the confidence of God's support against the enemy of our faith. We are prepared, then, to, pre to advance with the gospel and announce this good news to anyone who will hear it. And by doing this and praying to God that this power of God will release those who are entrapped by the devil and that they, too, will have victory in salvation. That's wherein lies the victory against Satan, is the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It is the power of God. So we have the shoes of the gospel of peace. Then we have the shield of faith. In verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith is trust in God. This trust in God will protect you from the flaming arrows of the evil one or the devil's temptations which are hurled at you. 1 Corinthians 10.13, one of the verses that I highly recommend you to memorize, and I'm a memorizer. I love memorizing the Scripture, and I highly recommend that because it is the words, the sword of the Spirit, in which the Spirit enables you to be able to wield the sword of the Spirit to do battle. 
So 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, All temptation is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Temptation is not a sin. Sin is when you do not escape the temptation to succumb to it and disobey God. We are called to resist the devil. We resist the devil by drawing near to God. But we're to flee temptation. Big difference that we get confused in the Christian community. We think we need to resist temptation. No, we need to flee temptation. We think we need to flee from Satan and not draw near to God. But no, we're to resist Satan and draw near to God. Don't get those reversed. Resist the devil, draw near to God. Flee temptation. Pull out of the, your memory. Do a Joseph is what I call it. Joseph in Potiphar's house. When, he, when Potiphar's wife encountered Joseph, and Potiphar's wife grabbed Joseph by whatever tunic he had on, what did Joseph do? He left his jacket and ran. That's temptation. We're to run. That's my favorite thing. Run away from temptation. Don't go near it. <laughs> it's like stepping on a banana peel and having one foot on a banana peel and one foot in the gutter with, with a 35-mile-an-hour tailwind coming up behind you unseen. Don't tempt temptation. Run from it. After the shield of faith, we have the helmet of salvation, found in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is the assurance of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is nothing that we have to put on. It is not about obtaining salvation. We don't put on salvation in that sense. We are clothed already with the assurance of salvation through the power of Jesus. Satan can only discourage us who are believers. Doubts about our salvation often is directed by Satan. And he is especially effective when we as Christians are not students of the Word of God. Until we memorize the Word of God and meditate upon it, the psalmist, or like what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we want to prevent ourselves from sinning, hide the word of God in our hearts. Bury it deep. Meditate on it. Ruminate on it. There is no better attack than wielding the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. It is the very thing that Jesus used in, in the wilderness against Satan. Every single temptation that Satan hurled against him, he countered with the word of God. And if you notice, Matthew 4, Satan used the word of God too. He twisted it, manipulated it to mean what it didn't mean in his context. But, Satan, but Jesus countered with accurate scripture. Be the student of the word. Be memorizers, meditators upon the word. And if we are not familiar, and especially if we're not familiar with the promises of God, we don't know what, we're not familiar with what God has already promised us in this battle. And so doubts do come. And Satan loves finding the loopholes, the chink in the armor. He will find it. And he will, boy, he will use it to his best advantage. Don't allow chinks in the armor to occur. Build the armor up with the word of God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This is from Romans chapter 8. And this is another passage that I encourage you to memorize. This is, your, this is about the assurance of your salvation. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. What a great promise. Next, after we have the helmet of salvation, we have the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17, which is the Word of God. We are called to take the sword of the Spirit. 
We are to pick up the Word of God and apply it to keep the, cur- to keep the course or to change direction. It is the only weapon of this armor with which we take any action against Satan. As Jesus did in the wilderness, if we, uh, we are to quote what the Scripture says when Satan lies to us, and he will, he'll twist the Scripture and lie to us right from Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, though, God's Word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the hearts. The word pierces the deception of false teachers. It penetrates even our own hearts, sometimes our own hard hearts, to convict us of the wayward thoughts that we find ourselves entertaining in our mind. It allows us to take captive every thought to bring it under the submission of the authority of Christ. It helps us to expose and destroy the fortresses of satanic falsehoods that have crept into our minds during a time of weakness, perhaps, a time when we had a chink in the armor, or perhaps a time when we, before we were born again. For example, I didn't come to Christ until I was 21. And up until I was 21... I was a rebel. I was, I was a wild man. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> and say, no, you weren't. You really weren't. You're too clean. I was deceptive and clean. <clears throat> uh, it was, I used it to my advantage. And it was because of that that I found myself in, in awful trouble. And there was memories associated with that junk in the past. It's memories that I cannot shake. Even to this day, I'm 62 years old, and I cannot shake those memories from the point I was 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I can't shake them. They're wedged in my mind, and it's a battle that I'm waging every day. I was exposed to terrible things, terrible images that I can't shake. It is only the word of God in which I can do battle and take captive every one of those thoughts to make it obedient to Christ. So you may have those things in your past in which you're doing battle. That is where the word of God comes in. It cleanses us. It washes us and makes us clean. It makes us whole. The best defense against demonic influence is to live clothed in the full armor of God, the life of Christ himself. Let me repeat those again. The life of Christ himself is the truth. We're to live clothed in the truth, clothed in his righteousness, clothed in his salvation, clothed in his peace, clothed in his faithfulness, clothed in his word, the sword of the spirit. Let me say at this point, as we kind of bring this in for a landing, And as I know, you want to probably loosen your seatbelts and start running. If you are not born again, if perhaps some of the words, it makes you doubt, and you're not, you have not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and as your Savior, if you have not done that, you have no armor to protect yourself against the deception and the mastery of Satan. You may think your own boss. You may think you're not possessed by anything or anyone. The spiritual reality that's presented in Scripture from the Lord of creation, the word of life, from Jesus Christ himself, is that you are a slave to Satan by default. You simply just don't recognize it. You don't have the spiritual eyes to see the truth. So to you, I ask, I cry, I beg, and I know I don't like, you don't want to hear that word beg, but really, cry out to God. Cry out to God that he will open your eyes as he did uh, the servant of the prophet to open his eyes to the spiritual army that surrounded them so that he will not lose heart. Oh, ask God to open your eyes to the truth and that you acknowledge this truth. 
and that God would give you a way of escape from the entrapment of the devil. He will give you then the helmet of salvation. He will give you the shield of faith. He will clothe you with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. He will give you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And then when you're clothed, you will, you will have shoes fitted in preparation for the gospel of peace. You will be gladly proclaim the good news to everyone, starting with your own family and friends. You will know that you have been released to the, from the entrapment of the devil. It will make you so excited. You will be made new. You will be a new creation. And you will be upset that you have been deceived for so long. Pray, cry out to God. Handle, take hold of the word of truth of God, equipping you for the work of God for His glory. So we have the equipment that God has given us. So why engage according to the rules? I have. We know we're in the battle. We know we have an enemy. We know we have the equipment. But why engage according to the rules? It's like everything else. Why do you have instructions with every Every box you buy from Amazon or wherever you buy, you got instructions, oftentimes in Chinese, which is a bad thing. But you have instructions. You have a manual to put things together, to operate them. God is no, God is no different other than the fact that it's perfected, perfected in His Word. He has established the rules of engagement and how to engage Satan in order to stand against his deceptions, against his wiles. Because, as I've already said in the beginning, if you don't engage according to the rules, you are lost the battle. You haven't. Jesus has won the victory for sure, but you may lose a battle, and it's going to be painful. Just like the sons of Sceva. One day you're going to find yourself, of course it's a little different, the sons of Sceva were false People, they were non-believers actually trying to pretend to be. But you will find yourself bruised, cut in a battle, but not down. You'll never down. You're never completely fallen because God is with you. God is there with you. The rules of engagement make us effective against the God's fallen angels and his demons and his whole horde. One of the things that it does, it allows us to see men and women in, uh, in ways that are spiritual instead of fleshly. We no longer, just like Jesus, looked right straight at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus was able to see who was standing right behind Peter and saying, You can't do this, Lord. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. We are able to see with the spiritual equipment who stands behind that man or the woman who's proclaiming blasphemies, who's proclaiming untruth and false ideas and ideologies to us? That's what it does. The rules give us Satan's strategy and his vulnerabilities. We need to know every bit. We need to know Satan's chink in his armor, and he has them. So with that in mind, so how do we persevere in this battle? How do we go on? You may be discouraged. You may be a little confused or dumbfounded as many of us have been in the landscape around us. Just know that you have a hope knowing that Satan's ultimate defeat has already been established. It has already been written. In the book of Revelation, we know that Satan's ultimate defeat has already been done. And that what we know, by knowing that we already have the victory, it allows us to stand against all odds. We persevere in the battle when we know that we are His, God's little children. And just as First John says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Hallelujah. Dr. David Jeremiah said this, 
But when it comes to spiritual challenges, we have an absolute truth at work. God is in us, and He is greater than Satan who is in the world. The Apostle John tells us something that sometimes surprises Christians when we read it. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, says so in 1 John. Meaning that Satan influences and has a measure of power over the whole world. But John also tells us, God who is in you is greater than Satan who is in the world. We have read the final chapter. We are on the winning side. Never forget, our God is greater than the one who pretends to be the ruler of this world. What greater encouragement can a man or a woman have to fight against his enemy than when he is sure of the victory before he fights a final victory? That's a quote from Richard Sibes. Keeping the whole armor of God on always. Don't lay your sword aside. Don't lay the word of God aside just because of every battle. I know they taught us in the puny army compared to the Marines. You know, I know we're full of Marines around here, but the army said never leave your weapon with outside of your hand's reach. You don't leave it. You sleep with it. You, you, it is a part of you. If you leave it, it's like the sword of the Spirit. If you leave it to the side and you can't find it when you need it, what good is it? Take hold of the Word of God. Always keep it with you. Keep it in your mind. Glue it to you. Just like what Deuteronomy says, bind it on your forehead. Write it on your gates, the doorpost of your houses. Put it everywhere, anywhere, at all times. Keep it with you. And finally, pray always, pray always, and be alert in prayer. We are to be sober-minded, but pray, pray and be alert. So my final words to you is now, live it out, join the battle, fight the good fight. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to our program today. We pray that you were blessed and trust that you will join us again as Pastor Stuart Guthrie preaches through his new series on the book of Titus. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.